the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Do you trust God with your needs? Or do you trust in your own ability to provide for yourself? Praise to the God who reigns above. And, and I would say, if that's how you've been doing it, how's that working out? <laughs> Are you stressed out, exhausted, and overworked all the time? I know what that's like to be that way. And descends in perfect love. That's not how God designed us to live, physically or emotionally. And eventually, it'll take its toll. But your precious life you spend. No, Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into his rest. That's what we labor to enter into, his finished work, to rest in him. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join senior pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God has proven himself faithful to the Israelites. He destroyed the gods of the Egyptians and set the people free from their enslavement in Egypt. The people praised God for all that he had done, but this quickly turned into grumbling and complaining because the Israelites feared that they would starve. God will provide on the basis of his own faithfulness, not theirs. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. We remember that the whole function of Exodus, we've, we've come through Genesis and we, we saw how God had been narrowing things down. We, we started off with Adam and Eve and then, of course, population exploded and then God destroyed the, the earth with a flood and started over with Noah. And then same thing happened again. The population grew. But then God was zeroing in on a family and narrowing it down further and further and further until we finally get to the end of Genesis and we see here that the 12 sons of Jacob, the tribes, future tribes of Israel are the group that God is going to use. And while in Egypt, they grow into a nation. They grow astronomically and they begin, they become a nation. And God now, as he's made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he is now making a promise to this new nation that he is going to be their God. They'll be his people, that he will bring them up out of the land of Egypt and that he will bring them into the promised land. And when we left Israel, God had fulfilled his very first promise, where we left them off in chapter 15. He's already fulfilled it to bring them out of Egypt. And when the Lord did, Israel celebrated. You know, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. But as we saw last week, that celebration didn't necessarily translate to true worship, which is a submitted and obedient heart. We could sing any kind of songs here tonight, scripturally, of course, but any style of songs, but really worship is only taking place as we engage with him and we are yielded to him as we are declaring who he is and and worshiping him as such. And so God explained to them as he preserved them through the fact they had no water and they grumbled and the Lord provided for them. And he told them, he said, what real worship is, is when you hearken to my voice. And so we saw as how just three days after the whole Red Sea experience and seeing Egypt's army destroyed, they complain when they can't find drinkable water. And, and that's not an unreasonable need. 
If my child comes to me and says, Daddy, I'm hungry, I don't tend to be like, deal with it. My general tendency now, if they just ate, then I go, what? (laughs) Because I would think they should already have enough. But if they're hungry, you generally try to, to meet that need because that's a genuine need. So this was a reasonable need that they needed water. And God wasn't upset that they cried out to him for provision. He is disappointed with them for their grumbling attitude. And so God warns them, like I said earlier, that they need to truly worship him, and not only when things are good. Otherwise, he'll have to deal with them like he dealt with Egypt. When God's trying to teach us something, but we haven't gotten it yet, maybe you've noticed this. He seldom moves on to new ground. You ever notice that? The Lord is dealing with you, and and you don't do well on the test, and and so then you come come back to the next day, and the Lord seems to put the same test in front of you. And you think, Lord, I'd like a new one. I'm not doing well on this one. And the Lord doesn't work that way. He seldom moves on to new ground. And so tonight, in chapter 16, we're going to see Israel in their next lesson. And, And it's going to be the same lesson. But as we see Israel in that next lesson, we realize that trials aren't purposeless. God allows them into our lives, these tests, these trials, because they're opportunities to grow. So... Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. So they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came or entered into the wilderness of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai. That's a a desert region. The wilderness of Zin is is just deserted area, wasteland, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. So 30 days now have gone by since Pharaoh said, get out of here, go. 30 days have gone by, and they've been camped at this oasis in Elam. Remember at the end of chapter 15, and they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees? They were just putting up hammocks and chilling out. This is a great place, a beautiful oasis with lots of shade. Now, the question we might ask is, why leave a place like that? I mean, do you have everything you need? It's a good shady place. Why go anywhere else? But see, like Peter on the mountaintop, when we arrive at those beautiful places where all is well, we want to camp out there forever, don't we? Right? You know, you kind of find a sweet spot in your life and you're kind of like, okay, God, do not mess with this. You know, you're like, this is, this is good. I mean, everything's good. The marriage is good. The kids are good. The bills are good. Work is good. Just let's stay here forever. Like Peter up in the mountain, Lord, let's build a tent for you, a tent for Moses, a tent for Elijah, and just stay here forever. You know, make this our campsite. But see, God's work is never done in the oasis, is it? It's never. It's done in the desert where the rest of the world is hurting and in need, right? That's where God's work is done. And so sometimes when we won't step out in faith and let God use us in the desert, the Lord sends trials to move us into the desert. And how do you respond when he does? Well, Israel obeys and they move on and they step into the desert region, but they come to a problem. They're a month out from Egypt and their food supply has run out. Verse 2, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, the word there, murmur, means to grumble against or to blame. They had begun to blame, blame Moses and Aaron for bringing them to this desert region. Did you do the math, Moses and Aaron? Did you figure out, did you realize that our food supply was going to run out before we got to our destination? What's your plan now? And so they say, you know, in this rough time, they were in the oasis, now they're in the rough time, and they say in the rough time, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots. Those 
have been some really nice pots. I mean, did want to go back to Egypt for them? And the idea, of course, is basically it's the cooking pot. Yeah, they're hungry. Their bellies are grumbling. And you ever remember that smell? Like, you know, you think of smell. When I'm really hungry and you kind of go by and you get a whiff of something, it doesn't matter what it is if it's just food. And that's the idea of the remembering the boiling pot with the scent of food coming out of it, that food was going to be coming. And when they did eat their bread to the full... The, the word there means every, all you wanted. I doubt it was like that in Egypt, but even if it was, that's what they're remembering. They said we'd rather that God had killed us too. The last plague upon Egypt, of course, that one where all the firstborn died immediately, they wished that God had killed them too as opposed to a slow starvation in the wilderness. And so they said to Aaron and Moses, you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I think it's interesting that they were upset with Moses and Aaron for the direction they were going. But did they forget the column of smoke and fire that was right in front of them? Did they forget who was actually directing them and leading them into the desert? It's not like they could look out. Moses, why did you lead us here? Well, I didn't, I didn't lead us. I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me to look at the pillar of smoke. They just lost sight of the fact that it was God himself who had brought them, not Moses and Aaron, into this place. It's interesting. We usually make our complaint to people, right? But this shows that all complaining is ultimately against the Lord. And so he replies in verse 4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So a beautiful, beautiful promise from the Lord that he says, Behold, which means don't worry, this is a real need, I'm going to take care of it. They were not whining about something that was unimportant. While God will chasten them for their improper mindset, he says, I am going to meet that need. Behold, Moses, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now, you might be asking or wondering, why would God do that when they have such a bad attitude? Well, the truth is, God keeps his promise. Second Timothy 2.13 says, when we are faithless, when we don't believe in him, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself, right? It's who he is. He is just faithful. He keeps his promise. And what was his promise? His promise was to bring them out of Egypt into the promised land. To do that, you got to feed them. So he had to preserve them. And so the Lord keeps his promises even when they've got the wrong mindset. Now, you might be saying, well, then why does our attitude matter then? Why, why does it mean if God's just going to do whatever, why does our attitude matter? Well, there's a few things. I just want to read to you from James chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. You can look it up later. But it says in James 1, 5 through 7, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives you all men liberally and upbraids not or doesn't withhold, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith... Nothing wavering or nothing doubting, for he that doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. The Lord says, listen, I love to answer you when you call out to me in faith. But you can't expect anything from the Lord when you're not. It doesn't mean the Lord won't answer. It just means you can't expect anything. And really, when we're grumbling like that, do we expect anything from God? No, that's the reason we're grumbling, right? It's because we don't expect him to do anything because we're doubting whether he's going to do something. And so we're not trusting him and we're not resting in him. So our attitude does matter in that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But you know, Psalm 23 says something so special to us. So why don't we turn there? I love this Psalm. David writing and 
declaring God's faithfulness and just God's goodness. He says in Psalm 23, it's a short Psalm, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He takes care of my needs. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Sheep are skittish. They don't like a lot of noise. They don't like a lot of fast running water. If you take them near a creek even that's got a bit of a a bit of a float to it. They kind of, you know, they kind of ease their way real slowly because they get scared real quickly. But he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now listen, this is all truth. But sometimes when we're doubting the Lord and we're not trusting him, or do we have that experience? Not at all. I'll be like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, where are you? That's how we do when we're not trusting him. We're not resting in him, right? We're afraid. He says, I will fear no evil. When I'm not trusting the Lord, I'm fearing evil because I think that God's dropped the ball. This is, a, this is a mess. We're going down with the ship. Abandon. Get out of here. Captain first. So my point is, why does our attitude matter? Well, it's how you walk through the trial. I want to walk through desert situations without giving into fear because I know that God is with me, don't you? I want to walk through desert situations and see God provide and not go, oh, you, you were in control the whole time. <laughs> and kind of you have that sense of, why didn't I trust the Lord? Do you know how cool it is to come out on the other side where you trust God and then you see him move and you stand back and you go, that wasn't too bad. It's such a great feeling. There's a sense of, I don't have to walk around afraid. I don't have to have, as we read in our scripture reading, this worry all the time in my heart. As uh, Danielle read in our scripture today from the worship, what is wrong with you, O my soul? That's my, my translation. Why art thou disquieted within me? What, what's wrong with you, soul? Hope thou in God. Why are your emotions all a turmoil? Look at the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. Be fixed on him because what a cool thing to walk through it with him, right? That's why your attitude matters. What a better way to do that. Well, the Lord promises to provide back in Exodus 16, verse 4. But his provision is going to be restricted to a daily portion. Interesting. He says, I will rain bread from heaven. But then he explains, and the people shall go out and gather. King James says, a certain rate every day. That phrase there means a daily portion every day. So the Lord says, no need to grumble, folks. I have a plan. I'm going to cause bread to rain or literally fall from heaven. And you're going to go out and gather a daily portion every day. Now, why only enough for one day? Why not a longer food supply like when they had left Egypt? Why not a long enough food supply to get them all the way to the promised land? That makes sense to me. We'll keep reading. He says that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. That's the same word that was used in chapter 15, verse 26, that we studied last week, where the Lord said that he, verse 25, not verse 26, where he said that he proved them through this water need experience. 
The Lord says, I'm going to test them. The word prove here means to cause or allow hardship for the purpose of identifying the true nature of something. I want to see if they're going to obey me or not. They need to see whether they're going to obey me or not. And so the Lord says, I'm going to test them through this. So the test was to see whether they would obey God or whether they would do what they wanted to do. To see if they would trust him every day in this area, which truly would encapsulate their trust for him in every area. And you know, this harkens forward to us, doesn't it? Because when Jesus taught us to pray, what did he tell us to say? Give us this day our what? Our weekly bread? Our yearly bread. I would like my whole salary up front. That sounds good, right? For some of us, that would be very bad. <laughs> Where is the bread? Where did the money go? You know, Give us this day our daily bread is a reminder that we're to trust God one day at a time, right? One day at a time. It's not that we don't plan ahead. It's that we don't worry ahead. Do you see the difference? When you read in Matthew chapter 6, our scripture reading, it says, take no thought, the King James says. But that word thought means an anxious thought, a worrisome thought. We're not to worry about tomorrow. We're not to worry about our food and our clothing and what we're going to drink. We're not to worry about those things because the Lord knows we have need of those things and he will take care of us. It says that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto us. He says, for why worrying? Can you add one cubit to your stature? Think of how many things could go wrong every day. I think it was with one of our children, the nurse doing the sonogram said, you know, it's fascinating. It's just amazing. How many things can go wrong with the formation of this child? And most children come out without any issues at all. And you know, life is like that too. There's so many things every single day that can go wrong, but somehow we're still here. As crazy as we are, we're still here. I say that about kids. I'm like, how do they survive? Today, Ethan, he had the bird, and I don't know what he was doing. He had the bird in his shoulder, and he's walking around, goofing around, whatever, and he decided to step up on the brick lining in front of our fireplace and jump. All you saw was tumbling and then a bird flying up from the nowhere, you know, behind the couch. And I didn't hear no crying. I was hoping he was not dead. I didn't hear anything. I'm like, Ethan, are you okay? And then all of a sudden, you see the head pop up, and he's like, (laughs) It's a little frightened by the event, but I'm all right. And I thought, oh, Lord. I mean, is it bricks? Why? why, We have lots of other places that are not sharp or hard like brick, you know, like a bed, like a mattress. Jump on that. But somehow they survive. Somehow we survive, don't we? Lord's hand on everything. The Bible says he holds all things together by his power, right? He holds us in the palm of his hand. He's got us. See, it's not too complicated. The Lord says, this is not too complicated. I want you to trust me every day on that day one day at a time for me to provide for you. And then the Lord says, I'm going to stretch you a little bit further though, because trusting me for your daily needs means that ultimately I'm your provider. Your need for me takes priority over your need to work. Look at verse five. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day, they shall prepare that which they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And then he says nothing else about it. God here is laying the groundwork to introduce Israel to the Sabbath rest. In Genesis, we saw that God rested on the seventh day, but he never commanded man to rest on the seventh day, just that he made the seventh day special. Well, he's about to command Israel that they have to rest on the seventh day. And the association with rest, as we see here, the very first mention of it is that it is resting in God for his provision, right? For your needs, That's what we do. This is what the Sabbath was about. You are going to, on purpose, not work, to remind yourself that God is the one who takes care of your needs and that he does so way better than you ever could. Isn't that neat? Every day, they were to, on purpose, not work. You know, you could... could be out in the field working. I could be out there making more money, but I'm not going to today because I know that God is the one who supplies all my needs. That's a good mindset to have, isn't it? 
And, you know, we do that in many ways in our lives. One of the ways we do that is with our giving. That's another thing God will tell them. You know, and when God puts it on our heart to support a missionary, and we go, God, how can we do that? And the Lord says, I'm your provider. And so we decide, and we say, Lord, on purpose, I'm going to take money that would normally go to this bill or normally to this thing I'd like to do, and we're going to support this missionary. We're going to, you know, tithe in obedience to the church. We're going to do the things that we're supposed to do. And you do that to say, Lord, I know that everything I have is yours, and you are my provider. That's why we do that. In the same way, there's other areas of our lives where we don't, we put our family above our work. We put the Lord above our work environment. We don't, we work hard when we're there, but we don't make it our God. We, we, you know, other people will say, man, you could be doing so well. You could get like eight more sales if you just worked on Sunday. And you go, I know I could, but truth is, I'd probably make less because I wouldn't be putting God first in my life. And then I'd be the one supplying for my needs instead of him. And I'm not as good as him at that. My dad, he, uh, when we first started going to the church, we had lots of, he got saved and started going to church. He had lots of financial problems. And my pastor was a good old-fashioned pastor. So you heard about tithing every week, every week. And if you weren't tithing, he knew and he'd tell you. And, and so he had lots of those interesting conversations with my dad. And my dad, of course, is thinking, I can't, we can't make it by on what we do have. How are we going to make it by on 10% less? And so my dad fought the Lord on it for a while. And finally he said, fine, I'm just going to write this check. I think the man sat at that table for an hour and a half, just pondering over the checkbook. And he wrote the check out to the exact cent of 10%. And he hasn't stopped. I remember at the dinner table, I was probably 15, 16, 17 years old, and he was teaching us this. And, you know, what are you doing, Dad? Well, writing the, the check for our offering for the church. And wh- why are you doing that? He said, well, son, I've tried to live on 100%. Can't do it. But I can live just fine on 90 I thought, man, he taught me that at a young age. And it was such an important lesson. Math works differently with God because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You need a cow, he'll get you one. So just put him first, always put him first, you know, in every area of our lives. And so he says, for them, you're going to purposely not work one day to remind yourself that God is the one who provides for you, and he does so way better than you could. And I would ask you tonight, you know, do you trust God with your needs? Or do you trust in your own ability to provide for yourself? And, and I would say, if that's how you've been doing it, how's that working out? <laughs> Are you stressed out, exhausted, and overworked all the time? I know what that's like to be that way. That's not how God designed us to live, physically or emotionally. And eventually, it'll take its toll. See, ultimately, when we look at the Sabbath, it deals with work. But we know from the New Testament that the Sabbath points forward to our resting in Christ's work on the cross instead of our own works for salvation. That says that we enter into the rest of Christ from our own works, our own dead works, because his work is complete and finished. And I would ask you that too tonight. Are you resting in the finished work of Christ each day? Or are you looking at your ability to pray or read your Bible or go to God about something on how good you've been? You know, Hebrews chapter four, it says, let us labor therefore to enter into his rest. That's what we labor to enter into, his finished work, to rest in him. Verse six, so Moses has his instructions. So Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, at even, then you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the, up from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord for that he hears your murmurings against the Lord. And of course, now he has to explain. We said, we didn't complain to the Lord, we complained to you. And he says, well, what are we that you murmur against us? Your complaining is really against the Lord. So Moses corrects their accusation. He says, I didn't bring you anywhere. So your grumbling really isn't against me, it's against the Lord. And you know, that's a great reminder and lesson for us when someone is taking their frustrations out on us. Just life is rough and they're having a bad day and they, they're kind of snippy with us. Remember that. Because it's always easy to get offended and strike back, Right? I mean, that's our natural, you going to talk to me like that? Are you going to treat me? Nobody's treating me like that. And we lash out. Wouldn't it be so nice to go look at that person and say, hey, 
I can see you're having a rough day or maybe you've had a rough week or maybe it's been a rough month. Maybe it's been a rough life. But is there anything I can pray for you about? The truth is, they're not mad at you. You're just the irritant in front of them at the moment. And they're going to take it out on you because they can't take it out on God. It's better to point them to the truth and to lead them to Jesus. Now, Moses says, in the evening, God's going to show you something and you'll know that he brought you out of Egypt. And then in the morning, you're going to see his glory. Two separate miraculous provisions. We'll learn what they are in a moment. But in verse 8, Moses says, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat. So you're going to get meat in the evening and in the morning, miraculously, bread to the full. For that the Lord has heard your murmurings which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. So here we go, verse 9. And Moses spoke unto Aaron, Say, say unto all the children, congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your murmurings. So Lord, Moses says, Aaron, you tell the people, you come out, you're going to come, and you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. He's going to talk to you. Now, that is usually the last thing we want to do when we're upset at the circumstances God allows into our lives, is to spend time with him. Last thing. I can't tell you how many times when I'm upset about something, and Beth's like, you, you need to spend some time in your Bible. You need to, you need to pray. And I'm like, that's a lie. I don't want to do that. I'm angry. I want to be mad. I want to be frustrated. I don't like how things are. See, but it's what we need most. It's far easier to take out our frustrations on the things or the people around us because when we come into the presence of the Lord, what happens? We become aware of our smallness, our selfishness, and our stubbornness when we draw near to the Lord, right? We see how big he is, and, and you know, we realize my whining is, is just not really worth it. I, I've been told that Pastor Gibb in, in his office, he used to have a sign above his desk that said, thou shalt not whine. And frequently it would make for very short counseling sessions. So, you know, the people come in and he chit chat with them and talk to them and, and, you know, so what can I help you with? And they'd be like, nothing at all. <laughs> we, we do, we whine and it's easy to whine to people because when we come to the Lord and say, Lord, and, and all of a sudden we realize, but you're so big and I'm so small and what is my problem? And, and Lord, you always come through for me. Why am I whining to you now? And, and Lord, I'm, the truth is, I'm just selfish. I want it my way. I don't like to have to wait, or I don't want to see how you're going to do it. I want it my way, and it's not working out my way. And then God starts to confront us with all those things and our own stubbornness. We don't like that. But see, here's what's beautiful about coming near to the Lord. He listens. He listens, and he comes near to us. It can be easy to forget God's goodness and graciousness during a storm. We must choose to worship God in the good and in the bad, knowing that He uses both in our lives for our benefit and for His glory. Perhaps you are in a season where it is hard to be thankful to the Lord, or you may feel like God's blessings have run out on your life. But this is not true. God is still with us, and we will never finish singing of His goodness and faithfulness to our lives. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our usual office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. 
We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.